Well, we're just covering two verses today. And I started off the week thinking, well, this is going to be easy. This, this might just be like a 30-minute sermon. Hold on. It, easy. There are so many things packed into these two verses that uh, I'm glad that we are only covering two verses today. So um, I titled the sermon, Shamed But Unashamed. Shamed But Unashamed. And just to give you a heads up, I am going to spend half of our time together today in the very first line of the first verse. So don't worry uh, if we're halfway through and I'm still stuck on that first line. Uh, We're going to move faster through the second half, but I really want to set up the opening phrase that Paul says. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel." Now the four, as we've seen previously, the four is a because, right? It, it points us back. He says, I, I'm eager to preach in Rome. I can't wait to get to Rome. I want to preach to you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I just had to stop there at the beginning of the week and say, well, why would he say that? Why is he thinking that? Why does he express a lack of shame in his excitement to come to Rome, the center of the world and the world power, and preach the gospel. And so I began to kind of rewind the tape and put some things together, and and I was just struck how similar his lack of shame in the gospel meets us today in our current situation. How needed this is in our own day for Christians, both here in this county and all around the world. So it begins with shame. And I would say it this way. We are shamed because of the gospel before we can be set free to be unashamed by the gospel. Okay, so when you walk as a Christian, you will experience the shame that comes from being one who has embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, it is invited by the gospel. The gospel will bring shame upon you. Just read a little bit of what transpired this past week. Why might a Christian feel shame because of the gospel? Did anybody read the USA Today? Article March 23rd, titled, Oral Roberts University Isn't the Feel-Good March Madness Story We Need. This, listen, now listen to the words here. She's talking about you. As the spotlight grows on Oral Roberts University, uh, the, the university's deep, bigoted, anti-LGBTQ plus policies can't and shouldn't be ignored. The Christian school upholds the values and beliefs of its fundamentalist namesake, making it not just a relic of the past, but wholly incompatible with the NCAA's own stated values of equality and inclusion. Now, here's the backstory. No one thought that Oral Roberts University was going to do much in the tournament. They beat the number two seed handily, and then they followed up by beating another top-ranked team and made it into the top 16. So people are like, this is a Cinderella story. They're cheering on this little podunk school, Oral Roberts University. It's a bunch of Christian kids running around with a basketball. I mean, what? and they're good. And they're taking it to these unbelievably ranked teams. And so people are cheering on and cheering on. And this lady says, hey, who do you think these people are? You, do, do you forget what they stand for? So she is calling for cancellation. She is calling for the NCAA to remove Oral Roberts University from the tournament because they represent something that our world simply cannot abide. Now look at the words used. They are set against the values of equality and, here's a, here's a word, inclusion. The irony can't be lost here. Cancel them 
because they don't follow the party line, which is inclusion. She goes on. While the school has been soundly mocked, keywords for us, on social media for its archaic standards of behavior and code of conduct, it is the school's discriminatory and hateful anti-LGBTQ plus policy that fans should protest as the Golden Eagles advance in the tournament. Now she says the school is free to impose whatever standards of behavior they see fit, even if, listen to the characterization, even if those standards are wildly out of line with modern society and the basic values of human decency. I, had, I was like falling out of my chair as I read. She's talking about you, Christian. Now, as Oral Roberts gains, gains national attention, the focus shouldn't just be on their very good men's basketball team, but on their prejudiced teachings and moral regressiveness steeped in bigotry and exclusionary fundamentalism. However accomplished its young student-athletes are, the school is a hotbed of institutional transphobia, homophobia, with regressive sexist policies. Wow. The shame of the gospel. The shame of the gospel. I don't know a lot about Oral Roberts University or their theology, but I do know this. If they're willing to take it on the chin for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this way and stand as their coach did after this was published and he was interviewed and he shared the gospel at the press conference, I'm with that guy. Amen? This is not just something that Paul felt. It is something that we feel this week, today, all around us. Why would we ever feel shame from the gospel? Let's just think of the categories that fly in the face of our culture. Let's begin with this thing that we understand as absolute truth in a day of relativism. We are the people in the world that believe there is truth with a capital T, not just your truth or my truth or you know, the truth that we want or the truth that we would like to create with our own reality. No, there is truth with a capital T under which everyone finds themselves. And that truth comes from God. That truth can be found in God's word. And when God's word speaks, it, it speaks with authority. Authority over any culture at any place at any time. Timeless, unchanging, authoritative, and absolute. God's Word is our guidebook, our blueprint. When it says that God created the world, that indeed the world is not the result of some molecules to man, just random process over billions of years, then we say that science that claims evolutionary processes, that's junk. That's lies. That's godless. That's worthless. That's not true. The world says, you're fools. You believe in fairy tales. Well, we're just sticking with the Bible. Think of how many things in the text. Oh, no, that, you know, Jonah didn't actually get swallowed by a fish. The Red Sea didn't actually part. Jesus didn't actually make water uh, wine out of water, right? We say, oh yeah, all of that. It's all true. Because God said it is. The sinfulness of sin and accountability before God. When we call sin what it is, we find ourselves stepping on the toes of our culture. When we disagree with the culture that would seek to say that, that good is actually evil and evil is actually good. When we say, no, 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 that evil is not good. That's poison for people. That's toxic. That's going to harm you. That is not good for human flourishing. That is sin. 
and we are accountable for sin to a holy and righteous God. We invite shame. The reality of God's wrath and the horrors of hell. Friends, there are churches that have run away from clear and heavily taught doctrines of Scripture about consequence for sin and wrath from a righteous and holy God, which in the weeks to come we're going to see unfold in Romans. They run away from it. Why? Because it's just too hard for the ears of our culture and our world to hear. Well, we want a God that's just nice and warm and fuzzy. Well, that's not a God of the Bible. It's not the God who is. That's an idol. We might as well pour some gold into a mold and bow to it. That's what that is. We say no. There is a God who loves and shows grace. And the reason that's amazing is because He is a God of justice, infinitely so, and He will indeed pour wrath and fire forever on those who rebel against Him in sin. Exclusive salvation in Jesus Christ. Do you want to get a quick offense by the world, then say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man or woman comes to the Father except through Him. You will be mocked. You will be shamed. You will be called intolerant. You will be called arrogant. The unequivocal call to holy living. Oh, you holier-than-thou Christians, you think you're better than us with your, all your morals and your standards. You judge us. Shame of the Gospel. Just seeking to live in righteousness before the Lord. Obeying Him. Walking in purity and holiness. Calling sin what it is. Calling out un, unjust things and, and seeking to oppose things that are evil and wrong in our day. The radical distinction of a Christian worldview. These gospel glasses change everything. The way we see the world, that will invite shame as you engage the world. The simplicity of the gospel. Think of it this way. Your gospel, how can that be good news? What, what do you mean it's by faith alone? That's too simple. It can't be. You're a fool. Or, come way over here, the complexities of the gospel. What do you mean? Election, predestination. What's all that about? It can't be. Friends, it is dangerously possible to be ashamed of the gospel in church. We never should ever be ashamed of verses in Scripture that make clear the glories of the gospel. We might not fully understand them, but we should never apologize for the Word of God. It is glorious and true and good. And just because it doesn't fit my mind does not mean it's anything less than that. I am called to work to understand it. And even then, so maybe not fully. Don't ever apologize for the Word of God. The Gospel can get you canceled or killed. So Paul says this, uh, I want to come to Rome and I'm not ashamed. And when I come, I'm going to turn it loose. I'm going to preach. I can't wait to preach in Rome. Now, the backstory on a man who is finishing his third missionary journey, uh, Paul's, let's, say, let's call it this way, Paul's missionary resume reads like this. Okay, Listen to his sum up. Here's a few descriptions. He says, I've experienced imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times. That's five times. If Paul were to pull his shirt up and show the scars that he has carried for the gospel, it would blow our minds. Five times. That kills people regularly in this day. He's at it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Not once. Three times. Once I was stoned. This is once I was stoned. How many people can say those four words in the present tense? I mean, not like drugs. I'm talking rocks. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city and left him. 
And he woke up from being stoned, got up, and went back in. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and robbers and my own people and Gentiles and, and city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false teachers. That's within the church. Guys that would rise up and, and come at Paul. I've been in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Shame. And in view of all of that, He's like, I can't wait to get to Rome. It's game on. Can't wait to preach this gospel. I am unashamed. And he carries the scars to prove it. We need this, friends. Don't we? We need this. In a day where the church needs a backbone like never before, we benefit from this kind of resolve. What is the temptation of shame? What do those who hurl insults and ridicule and mockings and articles like that, what do they want to happen? Well, I came up with a bunch of R words. They want you, Christian, to regret that you ever opened your mouth. They want you to regret the things that you have taken a stand for. They want you to not just regret and feel bad about it and apologize. They want you to revise it. Adjust your belief. Adjust the gospel. You need to make what your message is current and relevant and inclusive and tolerant. If you can't do that, well then at least get out of view. Go hide away. Don't ever speak up. Live in fear. Power. Run. Stay out of the public eye. Do whatever you can do to avoid being canceled. Relent of your resolve. Throw in the towel. Wave the white flag. Or, and this is the sad reality, as we have seen a number of times, publicly so, renounce your faith altogether. Walk away from your foolishness. This Jesus, whom you think is so amazing, just give it up, Christian. Join the party. The rest of the world knows what's up from down. You're an idiot. You're a fool. Calculated confirmation. Living to be liked by the world. You need to be progressing with the times, Christian. You need to be inclusive and tolerant. Those words are just mind-blowing to me. You need to be loving and accepting. You see how the spin takes place? The enemy, he spins this up. This is what you are all, all about, right, Christian? So how can you stand against people who say words about you like that and respond with a backbone? If you really love the people who come at you, you'll give them what they want. You'll bow to their every inclination. And when they call something righteous that's evil, you'll agree. And you'll call it acceptance and charity and tolerance. You know what kind of slavery this is? This is one of the worst forms of slavery. To live your life to try to make everybody happy out there. It's literally impossible. You will go crazy. I watched it happen. I was in a church working with a fellow who just, he just was obsessed with trying to keep everybody happy. And he literally snapped. You can't do it. The fear of man is an impossible burden. And yet how many churches have thought to walk this track? It's a calculated conforming. Well, we're not going to give up everything, but you know what? We're going to pull back. Maybe we just won't bring this stuff up. And we can just kind of carefully slide past the eye of cancel culture. You won't make it too far. And the more you open your hand and re relent and revise, the closer you get to the cliff. And I've watched it happen. And how many people 
fall over the edge. The call of Romans, where we're heading in Romans 12, is do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world. Christian, hear this loud and clear from Paul, unashamed. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't let that mold press in on you and say, okay, fine, you broke me down. You wore me out. I give up. I relent. What are we to do? We are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That's through the Word of God, with the Spirit of God. Stay true and faithful to God. Test and discern what is the will of God. And look, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you want to call something righteous and good and helpful? Go to the Word of God. What it calls good and righteous, then you know that's what it is. If the Word of God says this is abhorrent and evil, then don't call it good and think that you're loving anybody. Don't conform. Be transformed. How did Jesus respond to the shame? I think Paul has a, an example that we share in Jesus. Listen to how Jesus anticipated the mocking. He says these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now listen to the words that he receives. He's just spoken these words. Listen to what happens. They cast lots to divide the little garments he had left, right? The people stood by watching. The rulers, they scoffed at him. They began to mock him. Hey, he saved others. Let him save himself. You see, see, him, see him up there? He raised people from the dead. Let's see what he can do for himself. If he's the Christ, Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers, the Romans, they came up, they offer him sour wine, and they're like, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, you're a king, you think you're strong, well, save yourself, man. Show us something. Jesus just did. Pray for the mockers for the haters, for the scoffers. He prayed for them that they would be forgiven. Hebrews 12, 2, we are called to look to Jesus, the author, the founder, the one who started the work, and the finisher, the perfecter, the one who will finish the work of all of our faith. So it says who Jesus did this. This is how he walked through the shame. For the joy that was set before him. There's a hint for us, friends. Anticipate what is coming. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There's a perseverance aspect to this. We need a backbone, but not just for one day. We have to persevere to the end. No matter what we face, no matter what is coming, set your resolve. We're going to run through the tape all the way. And then it says this despising the shame. Jesus despised the shame. What does that mean? I believe it means that he did not allow it power over him. He did not coddle it. He did not cater to it. He despised it. He rejected it. He held it away from himself. It didn't eat him up. He stiff-armed it. And he finished the race. He accomplished his purpose that was assigned him by the Father. Huh. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. This is our great question. In a day where articles like that are written about our brothers and sisters, they're written about you. You have been shamed because of the gospel. We have a decision to make. Will we despise the shame or will we choose to despise the shamer? You see the difference? Huge. Jesus was not on the cross screaming and yelling bloody murder against the murderers who mocked him. He was praying for them. It is so easy to respond like the world when the world shames the Christian. We are called to rise above. 
friends. We are not called to enter into the fray and wallow around in the gutter and start name-calling and start attacking and hurling stones back at them. We're called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That is totally the high road. That's what shines. That's why Christians stand out. It's not just fundamentalism. It's gospel. Gospel. We are called not to despise the shamer, but to despise the shame. I think of this song often. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I'm not better. I don't deserve this gift of salvation any more than anyone on this earth. I don't deserve this. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see the difference was grace, friends. It was grace. If it wasn't for God's good grace to save me sovereignly from my sin, I'd be the shamer this morning. I'd be writing the article mocking the Christians. Grace. So our response has to be informed by the transforming power of the gospel. And it equips us to be unashamed in love. You could say it this way. Blessed are you, Jesus said. Blessed, happy. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What should you do? Get angry, grind, fire back on Facebook. I'll show you. No, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For the joy set before you, Christian, rejoice. You, you are counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Welcome to the party. This is what God's people do. We experience shame. It's normal. It's expected. It's coming in greater measure. What I find is that the reviling reveals, doesn't it? We're called not to revile in return, but to rejoice. And what, what, what happens then is when, when we are reviled for the gospel, when we are reviled for what we stand for and believe in love, holding out the hope of Christ to the nations, it reveals their need. Reviling reveals need for the gospel. That's why Paul's eager to come. He doesn't expect it's going to be a bed of roses. In fact, he's going to show up in chains. It's going to be hard. And he's going to preach. Because that's what he does. And that's what we do. When they had brought the disciples, the, the apostles, actually, in this, this is Acts 5, when they had brought all of the apostles but they set them before the Sanhedrin. Seventy-member council. Okay, picture that. They're arrayed in a half circle. Here's the apostles. The high priest who crucified Christ comes and he says, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That is the gospel. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Backstory here. The day before, they locked them all up in jail. That night, an angel came and opened all the cells and commanded them, fill the city with the gospel. And they did. So this council is totally baffled. What's going on here? We can't lock you up. So we're just going to yell at you a little more. Peter says with the rest of the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. You hear the backbone there? You hear authoritative command and joyful obedience you do what you need to do we're going to do what we're called to do a little while later when they had called the apostles in they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of jesus and then they let them go because locking them up wasn't working and what did they do they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And then, every day, 
in the temple and from house to house. They just kept preaching and teaching the gospel. They did not cease. They didn't relent. They didn't recant. They didn't go tuck away and hide out. No, they went back to the work. You can't cancel the gospel. You can't cancel Christians. It doesn't work that way. It never has. History is tried over and over. It doesn't work. Now, unashamed because of the gospel. Ethan, can you move that Kleenex box? I can't see the clock. It's important. All right, good. All right, we're doing great. Now, so with all of that as a backdrop, we need that, right? We, the infusion of shame, that's ours. Assume it, expect it. Now, in the face of that, unashamed, unashamed. Five reasons from these verses. Number one, gospel dynamite. Gospel dynamite. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for, because it is, the gospel is the dunamis of God. Dunamis is the word there. You hear it? Dynamite. That's the root for the, the word dynamite that we have. It's the power of God. You want to blow stuff up? Get on the gospel. Start bringing the... You want to see change? You want to see a culture completely turned upside down? Bring them the gospel. Political revolution is insufficient. A president in the White House is not enough. We need the gospel. We want this country to turn. In any significant way, we need the gospel, friends. That's the dynamite. It's literally the power of God. Now, let's just stop and, and, and acknowledge this. God didn't have to ordain it to be this way. God can save as he pleases, but he has chosen to bring his salvation, his kingdom, through his people in the proclamation of this message. It's words, not guns. It's, it's words that blow up sin and Satan and death and darkness. And we have them today. We, we have them. That's what we're doing here in Whatcom County. We're blowing it up with the power of God. Praise God for that. That's your mission, friend. Fellow believer, that where, when you go to work, you're bringing dynamite, right? You are bringing the power of God into the equation. Who's the hardest-hearted person, the most far-from-God person at your workplace? guess what? There's hope for them in the gospel. He saved the terrorist murderer of Christians, and he's speaking to us through him today. There's hope for that person. Who's the farthest person in your family from Christ? There's hope for that person in the power of the gospel. God can indeed radically save them. It's the gospel dynamite. Number two, gospel deliverance. Gospel deliverance. For it is the power of God. It, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. This word is important. For salvation. In our day, we have to clarify from what? Right? It used to be in our country that everybody kind of had this general sense. Well, from our sins, right? From darkness, from Satan. But not anymore. Not with all this relativistic mumbo-jumbo out there. Oh, I need to be saved from my, my brokenness and my weakness and my, all the horrible things. You know, absolutely, yes. We need to be saved from all of those things. But chiefly and foremost, we need to be saved from God. Put it this way, save from what? These, maybe this is a way of the gospel you've never thought about, but, but write this down. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved by God. We've emphasized that the first few weeks of Romans. It's his work. He, he saves. We're saved by God. But additionally here, the rest of this first chapter is going to show us 
We are indeed saved from God. God, the Father, sent His Son to save us from His wrath. That's why the gospel is such good news. Because left to ourselves, we heap up wages of wrath. Our sin is storing up the wages of the wrath of God. I, I, I watched a Facebook video go around. I'm sure well-intended. Some of you even shared it. It was this dude who was saying, he was trying to explain why God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell. Not true. Let's be clear. Sinners rebel. That is in us. And if God in His grace does not reach down and turn us from our sins, then we rightfully deserve the fires of hell. But hell is God's hell. He didn't find it and be like, oh, look, that's going on. Right? That happens every day. Look at that. They're just running in. Uh, you know, well, I guess I'll just do this over here. I like heaven. No. He made it. He sins rebels and sinners and haters of God there justly so because he is just he is angry at sinners rightfully so God is the one who sends every sinner to the fires of hell that is his duty in his holiness the fact that anyone experiences salvation should blow our mind we deserve that not this. We are saved by God, from God, and this is beautiful, to God. He saves us to Himself. The greatest thing He can do for us is not just free us from our sins and, and give us the Holy Spirit as, as, as a comforter and a, and a guide in this life and the Word of God and, and set us up on the rock of Christ. And he gives us Himself. We're saved to Him. That's why heaven is awesome. We get God. If we could go to heaven and God wasn't there, it would be hell. The reason heaven is glorious is because God is there face to face forever. And lastly, we are saved for God. We're going to see this show up again and again. For His glory. For His glory. There's no boast in us. It's all His glory. He did it. For Him and for His glory. He loves us for His glory. He celebrates all that He does in His grace and mercy to make much of Himself for us. And that's awesome for us. We get God. The God of all glory. Number three, gospel distinction. Gospel distinction. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone to everyone, and then don't stop there. It's to everyone who believes. That always has to connect. Otherwise, we're universalists. We're all, we're all good to go. There are people who say that, and they're wrong. It's not true. It's not biblical. It is good news. The power of God for salvation for men and women, old and young, slave and free, rich or poor, Every single ethnic diversity you can imagine, heaven is going to be spectacularly diverse. Some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. It is good news for everyone who believes in Christ. Everyone who believes in Christ. To the Jew first, as we'll see in Romans 9-11, through 11, and then also to the Greek, we are doubly graced as Gentiles. We have experienced a double measure of His grace. He didn't have to send it to the Gentiles. Here we are. Largely, most of us are Gentiles. Amazing grace. Now, the word here for believe is, it's a present tense ongoing. Present, active. Believing. Or, to everyone who is believing. You see that? It's not just, well, you know, back in fourth grade, I, I raised my hand and I ran to the front and and, and trusted Jesus. And so I'm banking on that moment back there as the reason why I know I'm, I'm okay with, with the Lord today. Well, how are you living today? Well, you know, I'm just kind of doing my own thing. But I got that back there. If that was real, this is real. You see what I mean? Belief is not just a one-time event. It's an active ongoing. I believed 
and I am believing, and I will to the end. Now, the good news is, is that anyone who truly believes will believe all the way to the end. And sometimes God uses and employs warnings to help us continue in our belief. Book of Hebrews. Keep believing, church. Keep believing. Don't give up. I love that. Number four, gospel display. A gospel display. This is the verse that radically changed Martin Luther as he studied. For in it, that's the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. It is a theme that runs through the book of Romans. It's, it's everywhere in Romans. If you start to look at this, like when you are moving through it with us, underline the righteousness of God. How often you see it. Or unrighteousness of mankind. The law and the prophets, as we studied in Leviticus, revealed the holiness of God. It revealed the glory of God, the righteousness. He is just. He requires that atonement be made and takes sin very seriously. But in addition to the law and the prophets, here comes a new revelation of righteousness in Christ, in Christ. All of this pointed to Christ. Listen to this passage from Romans 3. We'll be there in a few weeks. But now, he builds out this summary that he gives us here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction among people. He's not saying, he's not saying that, that some are given the gospel. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. All are justified. All kinds of people to the ends of the earth are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a payment by his blood to satisfy his wrath. And it is received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. This is how he reveals it. It's showing his righteousness because in his forbearance, he passed over former sins. Every time the sacrifice was made, he said, okay, I'll allow that to be covered. I'll pass that over. I will not visit my wrath upon you because you have obeyed me and sacrificed that. And that, that blood from that animal never took away sin. It simply covered it temporarily. He passed over former sins it was also to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who could declare righteous those who have faith in Jesus. What becomes of our boasting? Oh, this is a question Paul often asks. Christian, do you have a boast? I did it. I'm smarter. I figured it out. I'm better. I'm more deserving. No, you don't. It is excluded by what kind of law? By works? By something you did to earn it or perform? No. By the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's what Luther saw, and it completely opened his eyes to the gospel. He had been trying to earn his way and make himself holy and, and good enough before God and just understood how deep his sin went and he was undone by it. And then he read these verses. And God breathed the air of the gospel and radically changed him from that point forward. Everything changed. So gospel dependence, the last D word today, gospel dependent. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. He quotes now from uh, Habakkuk 2. The righteous shall live by faith. <laughs> the righteous, that, that's us, sinners. How, how could we ever live? Only by faith in the righteous one. That we have trusted to be our provision his righteousness is now mine all my sin he took upon himself and paid in full humble trust in jesus christ 
where it lands us. Not arrogant boasting. Not look at me as the Pharisees paraded themselves. You know, I'm so amazing. Look at all the stuff I do for God. Aren't you impressed? No, it's not that at all. The Christian sings amazing grace. I don't deserve that. I'm a wretch. And he saved me. That, that's what he did. He, he saved me. Are you here today with this humble trust in Jesus Christ? Or did you come in thinking that you were going to come to church today to try to get some tally marks on your goodness list? To try to be good enough for God, hoping that maybe He'll accept you if you do all these things. Friend, you'll never be good enough on your own. Never. None of us are. The only way for the Gospel to meet us is by faith. By faith alone. Just trust Him. So, believer, you can be here today in a culture that hates everything you stand for. You can experience the shame, absolutely, and you can stand unashamed. Unashamed. Our response this morning, I want you to look in your heart and ask the question, do these things pull or tug from time to time? Do you detect this inclination here and there? Conversation at work, situation happening here, situation there, maybe an opportunity to share the gospel, and all of a sudden you're thinking of the R list. Eh, I might say it and then regret that I said anything. What if someone really comes after me? What if I offend somebody? What if I open myself up to get canceled? What if when I post this sermon on YouTube, the people who hate the gospel find it and they come after me? Do you guys feel that? Do you, do you feel this, this battle, this impulse? Hmm. The gospel serves to be the skeleton that calls us to stand against the gravity of cancellation and Hatred in the name of inclusion. Listen to the Jesus words. Let this land it for you. If you didn't have resolve before this, allow these words to bolster your resolve. Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Oh, but I just want people to applaud me. I just want people to like me. I don't want to be a lightning rod. I don't want to make people mad. I don't want to be viewed as a bigot or a hater or a homophobe or what label? Just, just fill in the blank. What are you willing to give for their acceptance? Your soul? May it never be. Whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation which we live in as well, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If that is not a warning, a loving, gracious warning, kind of a shot over the bow of wimpy, caving to the culture, I don't know what it is. We can take this warning and treasure it. Don't be afraid of it. Treasure it. Hold on to these words and say, Oh God, left to myself, I cannot do this. But with the gospel and your promises and by your Holy Spirit and your strength, I am unashamed. And I will run this race. Come what may. I don't know what the future holds. It may involve persecution. It may involve prison. It may involve death. It did for most of our forefathers in one way or another. Well done, good and faithful. Faithful, faithful servant. Well done, 
How are we going to hear those words? By grace. Grace. Trust Him. Cling to Him. Depend upon Him. And stand. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank You for the Apostle Paul. He is a display of Your grace at work. We thank You for a man who was scarred from head to toe who is alive only by the evidence of your sustaining power to keep him from death at the hands of the haters. We thank you for the resolve that he displayed because of the gospel. His confidence in the good news that sinners can be saved by the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us like that more. Make make us impassioned and, and full of of fire and love, even in the face of hatred and animosity. Father, as the clamps are applied and the pressure grows and more and more around us, the threats increase. And as we begin to feel some of the pain of this hostile culture, I pray that you would find us faithful. Give us the resolve, the grace to depend upon you, the strength to stand and not compromise. Help us to never apologize for your word or compromise or pull back from it, Lord. But in love, help us to winsomely bring it to those who revile and reveal their need for it. Help us not to hate those who shame us, but to despise the shame not give it control over our lives and trust you every step of the way. And Lord, bring us home for the joy that is set before us. Help us to endure. One day, this will all be past and we will be with you forever. Until that day, Lord, help us. May we be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.